Welcome to Season 1, Episode 3 of the Pediatric Consult. I'm your host, Dr. Jill Schaffeld, and we have two special guests joining us today, Drs. Brian Pan and Dr. Lori Johnson. Dr. Pan is from the Department of Plastic Surgery with Cincinnati Children's Hospital, and Dr. Johnson is with the Division of Emergency Medicine. So welcome, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you. So just to get to know our guests a little bit, we'll have Dr. Johnson go first. Um, If you could just share a little bit about how long you've been practicing, how long have you been practicing at Cincinnati Children's, and just any maybe special interests you might have. I have been in uh, Cincinnati since fellowship, beginning of my fellowship, and that ended in 2006, and I've been here ever since. So um, I uh, came by the way of Virginia, originally from Eastern North Carolina. Great. That's good. Any specific special interests you have? Um, I'm the trauma liaison for the Division of Emergency Medicine. So uh, burns fall within that purview for my responsibilities within my division. Wonderful. And then Dr. Pan from the Division of Plastic Surgery. Um, How long have you been practicing and how long at Cincinnati Children's and any interests as well for you? Yeah, so um, I'm a Cincinnati native, and I was fortunate enough to come back to Cincinnati for my residency training in 2004, and um, I did my fellowship, similar to Dr. Johnson, um, in cleft and craniofacial pediatric plastic surgery at Cincinnati Children's, and I've been practicing here since uh, 2011. With regard to my interests, um, cleft and craniofacial are my primary interests. However, when Shriners was still here in Cincinnati, I spent a reasonable amount of my time doing burn reconstruction and other types of congenital anomalies over at Shriners. So. Great. I'm very excited to, um, you know, talk today about our topic, which is, you know, minor burn care and how the general office pediatrician can kind of assess and manage that, um, as well as just kind of when to refer. But it's wonderful because I feel like we have a couple different kind of ways to look at this, you know, from an emergency medicine perspective, as well as from a plastic surgery and reconstructive point of view. So appreciate both of you joining us today. So just, you know, a little overview and to kind of continue on with our discussion, what would you say would be an easy way, and either one of you are welcome to take this question, to kind of classify minor versus major burn? You know, traditionally, I think we thinking back into med school, we're always taught body surface area and, you know, partial thickness burns. But just for kind of the general everyday office pediatrician seeing a burn, how would you recommend kind of classification and things we should kind of look for? I can probably start with that. Um, So I think if you look at things according to the American Burn Association and you think about it in those terms, anything less than a 25% total body surface area burn is considered a a smaller burn. Now, um, those patients can still become quite ill. And so when we think about it um, with regard to our burn clinic here at Cincinnati Children's, I think about it in terms of less than 10% total body surface area. So when we're trying to gauge um, that size for people, there's a classification system called the Lund-Browder uh, system, or, and there's a diagram that goes with that depending on the person's age. But just a quick way to think about it is the size of your palm is about 1%. And so you can quickly get an idea of just how big a burn is um, in that less than 10% So I category. think that's a great tool to just yeah. be able to estimate quickly and, and yeah. something we could definitely 
definitely use in the office. And then maybe a question for Dr. Johnson, any specific things as a primary care physician that we should look for um, in addition to just percentage of burn or severity of burn, um, things that would maybe facilitate or initiate a referral to say the emergency room or something where we would say we wouldn't want to handle this on our own, we need help from the specialists. So to clarify a tiny bit more on Brian's point, it's the entire palm, including the fingers. And so that's 1% for that individual, that individual's palm. If there's any blistering, that's indicative of, of a deeper burn, so more than just like a sunburn um, type of injury. So, um, and burns do um, evolve a bit from the initial time of injury. So it depends on how long ago the burn occurred, under what conditions it occurred, if there's substances on the skin, or if it was just a scald that was, you know, water that's easy to clean. So um, I think any burn that gives a general pediatrician pause, we're happy to see in the emergency department. We uh, don't classify kind of the traditional first degree or sunburn type of burns. We don't classify those in the total body surface area. But what may look like normal skin initially may also become uh, part of the burn injury as the burn evolves. So anything that has a chemical on it, like, for example, wax from a hot wax kit from a salon that fell on a child's face, like those types of injuries we would definitely want to see right away um, to help try to get the substance away and then help treat the skin. Other things to look for would be injury patterns that aren't consistent with the mechanism provided. So if you have a sharply demarcated circular burn that's about the size of a cigarette or a cigar, that should give you pause versus a splash, which should be an irregular pattern. If it's you know, ramen noodles coming out of the microwave, that should, you know, wherever the microwave is in the kitchen, that should correlate with where on that child the burn occurs. Scalds, which are, have sharply demarcated lines that have sparing in certain places are concerning for the child being submerged and held down. So sometimes the burn pattern is hard to visualize until you get more and more detail, and it might take a little bit for the family to really think through what happened. Um, but you always want to make sure that the injury pattern correlates with the injury scene. Which would definitely be another reason to refer on if there were any concerns for any sort of physical abuse or anything like that. Dr. Johnson, as you were talking, I think that was a great point um, to kind of really hit home with the pediatrician as well is to let families know that burns may evolve and they may change and they may look different. Like you said, that blistering may not be there initially, but you know we may expect that to occur and just kind of giving them expectations as opposed to just oh, looks good, manage it with this, this, and that, and sending them on. So I think the expectation of kind of what to look for as things change and, you know, as the burn heals is, is a great point as well. So any specifics, it, and it's funny thinking back through my training, um, burn care has changed quite a bit even in the last 10 to 15 years. Um, just things that were recommended even when I first came out of residency to now, it's, I feel like it, it's completely different. Um, so if, you know, specifically there's not an injury where we're worried about physical abuse, what kind of treatment options do you recommend in like just an office setting? Um, if we feel like this is a burn that is amenable to, so a smaller burn, you know, no concerns for other injuries or say like inhalation injuries, things like that. What kind of treatment or what's kind of, how can we guide the family in terms of treatment in our office or at home? Sure. So 
I think the first thing to do is um, it, you're primarily thinking about getting the area cleaned, as Dr. Johnson was saying, and um, just getting an idea of the size of the burn. And so um, one controversial topic is what do you do if there's a blister there or not? And there's different schools of thought and there's been lots of studies on which one to do. But I think many uh, practitioners will just go ahead and debride the blister because at some point you're going to need to do that anyway. Um, just to be able to get a sense of, is this um, a more superficial or a deeper partial thickness burn? Um, I think most people can pretty much judge a first degree burn or like a sunburn and a burn that's much deeper where you can see fat underneath or where it's looking like white leather almost. That's really easy to differentiate between. It's the in-between actually that's hard and is even hard for experts and that's what we do have to observe and monitor over time. But but after you get the area cleaned and the blister debrided, one of the things that you can do that is really going to help the patient is, is just to get it covered pretty quickly. Ointments like uh, neosporin, bacitracin, polysporin, any of those would be great just to cover the nerve endings. And that just with a, a dressing will alleviate much of at least the initial pain that the child is going to be, your patient's going to be experiencing. Um, so I think it's primarily getting it, it covered and um, in providing that barrier between the air and those nerve endings that have been exposed from the burn. Absolutely. And then how often would you recommend just with that sort of a burn that, you know, dressings are changed? Should we have parents cleaning these multiple times a day? Is it more a once a day type frequency? Yeah, so I, I think you have to be practical. Um, in some areas, it'd be appropriate to change uh, the dressing once a day. Um, if there's, if the family notices that the dressing is sticking when you're trying to remove it, that would probably be an indication to just put a little more ointment on the site and maybe change it a little more frequently. And oftentimes you can either uh, put the child in the bathtub or in the shower to help facilitate loosening up the dressing so that it's a little bit easier to, to take on and off. Yeah, that's great. Very practical advice as well. Um, are there any red flags? We talked about physical abuse being one, but any other red flags for a pediatrician to say, hey, even if it's not a deep burn, this is something I shouldn't be managing on my own? I guess if there's a, a circumferential burn, that should always raise suspicion that there could potentially be vascular compromise, particularly for some of the burns that are a little bit deeper. We worry about compartment syndrome and we worry about blood flow to the, the extremities and digits when we see that. Again, with more serious burns, um, and these are the types that would be transferred out of um, our emergency department to a, a burn center that takes care of the, that condition solely. You know, we would be we would be concerned about you know circumferential burns on the chest. Those patients are obviously critical, critically ill, and you know wouldn't be seen in the office. But for the most part, circumferential burns should give people some pause. Um, I think burns across joints um, is another one that at least maybe not for the near term, but the longer term, there could be implications regard to loss of function because of scarring and scar contracture. I think I know the answer to this when I ask it, but just in case anyone that's listening is thinking of this, is there any role for prophylactic oral antibiotics in burns and preventing infection? Or is it really more a focus on just good care of the burn itself and dressing changes, as, as was said? For small burns, typically no. Um, I think it's primarily just good wound care, washing things adequately, and making sure 
Dr. Johnson mentioned before, just um, ensuring that whatever the substance was um, is removed. Mechanism of injury is important, obviously, like food and and splash burns, um, scald injuries, those types of things. It's going to be relatively clean, but there are some cases where you see hot oils and other type of petroleum products that you do chemical type burns that you do need to irrigate and and get off pretty quickly. Definitely. And then, Dr. Johnson, any... Thing that you can think of in terms of words of wisdom for even follow-up within the office. Um, obviously, infection would be a big one, but kind of expectations for healing, any certain things that, that we should watch for as pediatricians, you know, if someone's coming in and follow-up or say it was a burn they had treated at home that, you know, maybe we're seeing that a week out instead of at that, you know, very you know, early time frame within the first 24 hours or so, but things that, that we should look for treatment-wise? I think um, often parents will witness the burn or, or hear that the burn happened, like they're in another room and the child scalds themselves, and the burn looks okay initially, and then they realize the next day, whoa, this looks way worse. Um, and we see, you know, that not infrequently. And so if there's any question for the general pediatrician, um, simply refer the child to the emergency department because, you know, we can consult plastics, um, plastic surgery very quickly, and they can assess the wound. We also have a very nice technology now called Image Mover where we can take a photograph of the image and then it's in the chart for all to see. So plastics uh, may not even need to come to the ED, but could see that image and say, nope, that's fine to follow up in clinic in, you know, two days, three days, whatever the time frame may be. And we have a very streamlined process to coordinate that referral to plastic surgery clinic. One other thing I would mention in the acute phase of the burn in your office is to remove any like jewelry, constricting clothing, anything that's nearby that could be difficult to remove later. So even if you think like, oh, the burn's on the upper arm, it's not anywhere near the hand, I would go ahead and remove anything on that hand and get off any constricting clothing just in case. Perfect. Great idea. Just one other thing to add to your comments is that, you know, if you do see that burn that's about 10 days old and it still doesn't look like it's healing, that does have some real clinical implications because I think we've been kind of thinking about just burns that are going to heal on their own, which many will, or at least most commonly the, the burns that we see will heal on their own. But once you get to about that 10 to 14 day time frame and you've not seen epithelialization, um, you can assume at that point that it's going to be something called a, a deep partial thickness burn. And again, that's where even the experts sometimes just have to rely on observation to see how things evolve. Um, and if you haven't seen epithelialization or, or, or good skin growing um, in the area of the burn by that point in time, that's when we think about surgical intervention. That's great. So kind of in that 10 to 14 day range yep. is what you would be looking for. So. That's perfect. And in some cases, um, the smaller areas that haven't healed, yes, you can let it heal on its own. Sure. But when they're crossing joints, um, when there's larger areas where it hasn't healed, that's when we start thinking about skin grafting. Great. I was thinking of uh, what a great tool when you were talking about the image mover tool to be able to document just what a burn looked like and kind of how it progresses. Um, but I also think Referring back just to the community practice support tool for the general pediatrician has a lot of this wonderful information in it too and a nice flow chart to kind of guide um, referrals and just management, which is great. The other thing is just thinking by personal experience how I think accessible and wonderful plastic surgery has been 
oftentimes just with a phone call, but I believe you guys are involved with e-consult as well. We are. So, which is great to be able to send a message and say, hey, this is what I have going on. Is this something you think needs seen? Or maybe you know it needs seen, but it might not quite need an ER referral right now. Um, And I really have had a a great experience with, you know, getting kids in and, oh, we can see them the next day or, um, you know, sometimes even same day, which I think is a wonderful tool as well for the community pediatrician. Yeah, right now those e-consults go to me, so. Oh, (laughs) near and dear to your heart then. Make it easy. So, no, but I think that's a great tool for community practitioners to know that's available when they do have a question or maybe, you know, things just seem a little different or a little, you know, that maybe slip between the cracks or fall between these guidelines, or you're just not sure, I think it's a, a big bonus and a big plus to be able to, you know, feel like you have that, you know, consult with a specialist. But yet it's not that, you know, we're paging you in the middle of your busy schedule. And <laughs> so I think it's a definitely a big plus. So um, are there any just other kind of things, any maybe specific scenarios or things we haven't brought up that either one of you would like to share with us? I think just from a practical standpoint, tiny children with burns on the face, even though they may not seem very large, depending on where they are, um, may pose a higher risk of infection and may be more difficult to keep clean. Um, Perineal burns, depending on where they're located, may be more difficult. And so, um, you know, if there's any doubt, you can certainly refer to the emergency department and we can get input from plastic surgery and, and see what would be the best acute kind of disposition for that child. I would just also add that if there's concerns with pain control, um, if there's concerns about a family's ability to do the dressing changes, um, that would also be an indication for referral to the ED. And in many cases, we'll admit those families so that, number one, we can make sure the child's comfortable, but then also uh, that our team can teach um, the family how to perform those dressing changes at home um, in preparation for their follow-up with us in about a week after they're discharged. I think that's a great point as we talk through all the medical aspect of things, but to also remember everyone's situation's different, and you know some may be more adept than others at, at dealing with that, so it's a great just kind of social aspect, which we see a lot in pediatrics, but even for something that may seem as cut and dry as this, you know, it's good to, to remember that as well. One additional point to Dr. Pan's um, last comment would be for addressing changes at home to make sure that their child is premedicated with Tylenol or ibuprofen prior, like 30 to 45 minutes prior, um, because while the child may seem comfortable once you start trying to manipulate the dressing, they can be, you know, much more uncomfortable. It's one of those things I think that, as you say it, I'm going, oh, absolutely. But I don't know without you saying that if I would think to educate parents in that way, you know, to say, hey, here's how you're going to do this, but make sure they have some Tylenol or some ibuprofen on board, you know, prior to that dressing change. So it's a great point. So one additional question is a general pediatrician seeing a burn. Are there certain burns that would be more appropriate for just referral to say an urgent care versus referral directly to the emergency room? Sure. I think um, if you want um our division of plastic surgery at Children's to be involved to make sure it's one of the Cincinnati Children's Urgent Care sites that's um, staffed by members of our emergency department. Um, 
a wound that might you might have in question, like I'm not sure if this is going to evolve. I, I think it, it may need you know a little bit more um, training um, on how to care for the wound at home. Our nurses are trained to do that um, at urgent care and our, our ED sites both at Base and Liberty and we'll provide the family with a burn wound care kit that has um, enough dressings to um, help them with their wound, wound care changes through their visit to plastic surgery, which is typically in, within three days. If there is a wound that uh, it's desirable for an official plastic surgery consult um, where the um, plastic surgery attending then weighs in on, on the treatment plan acutely, then that should be referred to the base emergency department where we actually have consultants come and examine the patients. That's very helpful information to share. Thank you. So if a patient is referred to the burn clinic at Cincinnati Children's, do you have just some kind of advice for the pediatrician to be able to relate to the family about what to expect or kind of what that experience is like for them? Yeah, so so we have a burn clinic that is Monday through Friday, and we have dedicated um, spots for burn patients to be seen uh, during those days. Um, if the patient does go to an urgent care or an emergency department, we're able to make an appointment right then and there um, that can be filled. And one of the reasons why we like that three-day window is because that, that's when actually many patients will start running out of dressings, and so we'll be able to provide that when they, when they present. Um, but also it's just a good time to see how that burn injury has continued to evolve. Um, as far as advice that can be shared with the patient, I think pre-medicating, as, as Dr. Johnson had mentioned before prior to that, because we'll want to evaluate the burn injury and see what it looks like. We'll get photo documentation, and then we'll be able to, um, at that point, suggest if any additional um, uh, dressings or if we need to change a dressing, um, we would be able to do that at that visit. Um, as far as what happens after that, again, it's waiting for the burn to continue to evolve and see how it heals over those next seven to 10 days. And at that point, it, it may just be a matter of talking about scar management uh, for the long term. Sometimes more complex injuries, particularly those crossing a joint, we may refer to our, our physical therapists and occupational therapists for compression garments or, or specific splints. Uh, and certainly if surgery is needed, we would make uh, those decisions at that time as well. I want to thank both of you for being here today. Um, and just to let everyone listening know that if you go on our um, Pediatric Consult podcast app, there will be a link to the Community Practice Support Tool for Burn Care, as well as a link to some CME credit for this activity. Um, and I want to thank both our guests again for joining us. And I think this was a, a great discussion and very beneficial for the community practitioner. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.